All right, so um, we are in the midst of 1 Timothy, right? So um, real quick, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been there. So let's talk about um, kind of 1 Timothy 1 and some things we might remember um, as we begin, Timothy, what are these, these major themes we've started with already? Do we remember? And Caitlin, you remember because you talked with me about it again the other day, so if no one else answers, you have to, you have to answer at the wedding. <laughs> Anybody? We have this charge at the beginning of 1 Timothy, right? In the midst of discussing um, Hellenistic culture a bit, these um, kind of new teachings that are seeping their way into the Jewish portion of the church and the Greek portion of the church and then the diverse portion as well. Like we have this major theme that Paul wants Timothy to decide in the very beginning and it's what? Caitlin, looks like it's you. Right. So it's this, this thing from Paul. And again, we're used to, if we've, if we've read some of his letters, a lot of times we'll think of Paul as like this, this thinker that can't wait to give theology or, or to teach these deep whatevers or anything. But really, this, this thing to Timothy that he starts with, he's like, look, you've got to remember your charge is to love well, with purity of heart, with a clear conscience and sincere faith. That is what I'm asking you to do. If you'll just settle that, we can work on so many other things, and we can watch this gospel take hold of people's lives, but this must be settled, right? This idea of intense love on purpose to everyone, right? That's the idea. Um, what, what else as we go through there? Anything else besides that? And then we can just jump into chapter two, but anything else for y'all? Since you're so talkative this morning, I want to give you a chance as it is. No? Okay. So let's just jump into chapter two, but I'm going to disclaimer just a little before we get in. Um, you probably won't love the sound of these sentences at face value, but just wait, okay? Like, you're gonna, if I could look at your faces when I read it, you're gonna raise your eyebrows or you'll scoff or you'll be whatever. Just, just hang on a second. We'll get there, okay? And I'm gonna read, the last part's really gonna be the one, okay? The last of the chapter, but I'm not gonna go there right away. So just again, just be cool. We'll get there. It's going to be just fine. Um, we'll enjoy it together, okay? But I got to, th- that way we're just not distracted the whole time with what in the world is he talking about? Does that make sense? Okay. Excellent. I mean it, though. I'm going to hold you to it because you're nodding. First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's a really easy passage for us to just obey right in the beginning, right? We're all doing a great job with that, I assume. Um, (laughs) Um, This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. 
Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who, prof who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather that she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let's do it, right? I know. Dustin, thank you for the scoff face. Um, easy passage, right? Super simple. We all get it, I'm sure. We're ready for it. Um, all right, honest truth, honest truth. Last week, um, it, was, it was reasonable to talk about kind of where our church has come and do that. The main reason I did that, though, is because I was a little nervous about chapter 2 in Timothy. That's, that's the honest truth. I was glad to celebrate, but this is, hard, this is a hard passage, okay? It's hard because of one main thing, is because at face value, and some of us in churches that um, you've grown up in, mine, mine particular, particularly, um, we would be in error. Church at East would be doing completely wrong by Timothy, right? Why is that? What do we do at face value, maybe that you were taught, or just guess it maybe what I was taught. You don't have to talk about your church growing up. Austin's church maybe did this growing up. What at face value do we not adhere to in this? What are some of those things? As it happens. And they're awesome. Right? And, and I stay here. Right? It's not like women's day. Right? Like the, the, someone, Holly, the last time she taught, we didn't be like, all right, guys, we'll go learn in here. Right? Holly, you teach the women. Right? We don't do that. What else? Okay. In what way? Like our leadership is made up of what? Nice. So, so you're saying that, that in personal interactions at Restore Group, anywhere, that you could come to me and say, hey, I have something I think that you should hear, right? At a wedding, sitting down, which I think is wonderful and nice, right? You'd be like, you know what? That passage you were talking about, I think... This also, let's add this. Maybe if you saw it this way, that would be helpful. And I agree, it was awesome. We can do that with each other, right? Some of our elders are women, right? And our elder meetings, they don't like take notes from me saying what we should do. It's, it's rarely ever that way. In fact, it's usually, what should we do, right? So what else? What else? There's a few more that I think it's interesting we're not saying. Women's attire. Women's attire. Reasonable. Right? <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> right? So your adornment, right? What's, what's the scripture saying about that? What's the message there? Don't draw attention. Don't draw attention but what, instead, yes, I don't, I don't disagree. But what is to be the adornment? What is, how should you dress yourself? In good works, right? This idea of dressing in good works. What else? Something else we're not saying. It doesn't have to do with women. 
Men, what should we be doing? What should we be doing? Should be. Raising our hands in prayer without anger, without quarreling. We should be men that pray together often. It should be something we do. When I drink bourbon with Dustin, it should be normal for me also to pray with Dustin. Right? If I sit down with, with Drew and have a good time and have a meal, we should, we should also be praying with each other without quarreling, without strife between us, right? That, that's, that should be our norm. That should be commonplace for us, right? So let's, let's get into these things. Um, and, I, and I want us to talk about them, and I want us to talk openly about them too. So if ever, like any other service we have, if ever there's something that you need to add, let's do, and we'll talk about it openly. Does that work? Okay, wonderful. Um, so let's go to this. We are going to skip down to verse 8. I desire that in every place uh, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So do we remember when we talked about this other Pauline passage, where we talk about these, um, it, it talks about husbands and wives and how to treat each other, correct? Do we remember that at all? It's, it's been a while. We talked about um, dating, sex, marriage, I think, in the midst. And we talked about this passage. And the passage talks about, husbands, you should love your wives, right? Give yourselves up for them, right? And then it says what? Women, do what? Submit to your husbands, right? So we talked about these two things maybe aren't the only command from each of them to give to each other, right? Just because something is left out doesn't mean it doesn't need to be a part of something's life. It's like saying, and we, we jump to this, this idea, and I don't know why, I mean, I know why we do it, because power is king and people want power. So we say, women, your role is to be submissive, period. That's it. You don't have to love, right? You don't have to sacrifice for, as the guy, that's only his job. You don't have to love or sacrifice or anything. Just submit blindly. And all of us say, oh, no, no, that's not what it's saying, right? But in the same way, we allow it to be a man's job to love and to take care and give his life for, but never submit. So we, we mess it up by saying, oh, just because it's omitted in the, uh, in the command, then you don't have to do it. There's lots of other things that make a, a marriage healthy, that make a relationship healthy. And so maybe instead, it's this idea that you two are supposed to do these things. Husbands do this. Wives do this. Live in harmony with each other as you do these things together, right? As you submit to each other, as you love each other, as you give your lives for each other. And we would say that makes, that makes total sense to us, that just because a command is given to someone doesn't mean it's not given somewhere else, right? Or because something's omitted, it, it doesn't need to be there. Or maybe even, because maybe that person needed to hear that, right? Maybe men needed to hear more than anything else, be gentle at home. Speak with a loving voice. Show affection to your spouse, right? In public, don't be afraid to tell her she's loved, maybe. And then maybe in the same way for wives, that that is something that was needed to be heard, right? We talked about that. We talked about it at length. Here, what if this idea that men should hold their hands in prayer and that they should not be afraid to pray together, maybe it's, it's a couple of different things. Maybe it's not saying women should never do that, number one. We would probably all agree. Praying is good. 
you should pray together. That seems nice, right? It's appropriate. But maybe in that day, in Ephesus, around Timothy, men of the church needed to hear above anything, stop quarreling. Stop hurting each other with what you say. Stop being on the side of making someone a proselyte and on the side of saying, no, anyone can come to Jesus uncircumcised. Please stop this. This debate is killing you. Hold your hands together in prayer at all times. Let that be what you discuss together. Let it be that you people walking around (laughs) stop these frivolous debates and learn to love each other. Again, we talked about in the very beginning, this needs to be the theme so that we can understand every other passage that comes in Timothy. Maybe in... uh, Maybe instead of it being the man's role to pray out loud, maybe instead it's these guys need to hear to get over themselves and pray together. Maybe they need to hear your debates are killing you. These disagreements you have, these frivolous ones, are completely changing and ruining the message of Christ that's supposed to be for the world. What I want the world to see is you lifting your hands in prayer with each other everywhere you are all about your life. I want people to know you as friends who pray together, who aren't afraid to be intimate in that act together, who aren't ashamed of saying, I need prayer here. I struggle here. Instead of trying to mentally wrestle each other into submission and prove a point. Maybe that's not the man's only job in church life, but maybe these men's, these men's, (laughs) these men's, these men suck at it. What if it's that instead, right? And so this idea for us to, again, similar to what I was saying about loving each other, we hear that we should pray with each other, we should pray together, and we're like, oh, of course. We know we should. We're just going to choose not to ever because it's weird Right? Because then one of us has to start it. And what if the other one's like, I don't want to with you? No. Right? A lot of us, besides just praying with, with your friend, can't pray with, your, can't pray with our spouses. Can't teach our children to, because it's too hard for us. It's too culturally not what we do, culturally not how we live to pray together, to open ourselves to that together to have someone hear us request or hear us admit or confess or someone to hear our longings with what we want God to do in us. It's relegated to like this one time we prayed a long time ago before we went to bed and it was awesome. We just don't do it anymore though because it was tricky, right? So how then do we begin to build a culture with ourselves, with with people around us, that we aren't afraid to pray together is, is number one in this. Then let's get, to, um, let's get to the rest of this. Likewise, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, which is good works. Now, I want us to notice Um, a fun part of this passage, Paul doesn't tell them how to dress, right? He doesn't say, don't adorn yourself, don't braid your hair. Instead, only wear, uh, what's the sack 
burlap or something. I don't know. <laughs> doesn't do that, right? Doesn't say your shirt has to be to here, right? Doesn't say skirts of what length, right? We don't do that. We're not like in youth group time when this gets used to do that. We're not, we're not there, okay? So the exciting thing about that is the way to dress ourselves is with good works. Now, again, is that only for women to do? Should men forget about the good works? No, obviously not, right? But what's interesting also about this is where they are. Do we remember this conversation about Ephesus? What prominent place is in Ephesus that everyone in this Greek world would know? Everyone almost in the world would know about this one thing. What is it? You know because you nodded. That's okay. Vaguely say it. People will help you. It is. There is. And there's this one special temple there also. Do we know? Just temple, temple to a goddess. That everyone would know about and everyone would worship in. And when they do, there would be all kinds of worship at this place, right? The worship would cross into a lot of people's sexuality and it would be um, parts of the, the, the branches of this religious idea, people would include sexual acts in their worship. They would include um, different ways to express sexuality in their worship. And also, it would be this, this main focus, this goddess would be to adorn and be as beautiful and desirable sexually in worship as humanly possible. So you would, you would put anything on women to make flashy, shiny, whatever else, you would do this in this temple. And this temple carried over into normal life. So this, this place was known for this. It was known to be as appealing sexually to cross even into religious circles. So it was this, this interesting morph of, of all of these things together. Also, in this same area, Paul will tell people, he would tell men, don't have long hair, right? It's not wrong for them to have long hair. The issue was, in this city, you might be confused for a male temple prostitute if you had long hair. So he's saying, hey, just for the sake of, so we all know what's happening at your worship services, dude, just cut your hair. Like, don't, don't have it long, don't, don't look like this, right? It's that idea. It's, it's almost logistical, it's like if you, because he doesn't tell other people in other cities this. It's not an across the board, guys don't have long hair. It's a, hey, here, this place, it'd be best for you. I find it a very good idea to cut your hair, okay? Paul, other times, didn't want to cut his hair. Paul didn't want to shave his beard, okay? So it can either be that he's hypocritical or he's talking to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place, okay? Because again, remember, Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's upset about it, Finds, he finally relinquishes and gets his head shaved and cuts his beard off, right? He had long hair before doing that. If he had some, that's what he would have done. But again, that wasn't an across-the-board rule even for him. It's this place, do this. I find it best. I'm telling you, if you do this, it might be easier. So we have a little bit of that with Ephesus as well, where Timothy is. So... When we get to this passage that talks about, specifically, women in a service 
be silent, be quiet. Don't, I don't permit you to lead in this situation. Perhaps, and again, our church's interpretation of something like this has been and will be, we find that for that town. We find it for that time. There's other situations where Paul is walking through and prophetesses come and, and prophesy over him and he loves it. He listens. He obeys. He adheres to their teachings. He starts a church with well-to-do women by the water in certain cities. This married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, are his major, like, his major push in his, like, starter family for a church, and the leader of them, most scholars will say, would be the wife. And it was beautiful and lovely and fine. In this place, in this town, this is the command to Timothy. And I readily say that still makes it hard, honestly, for me. And I can't imagine, honestly, I can't imagine being the one, let me see if this makes sense. I can't imagine being the one told no to be quiet and interpret it that way and then be overly excited to teach it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I imagine me saying this is probably obviously very different than Lauren teaching this. So how it would sound. It would sound possibly to some people apologists teaching, right? Or it would sound like trying to maneuver it in a way, right? And I imagine that would feel very difficult. And I understand that. I think, though, the very last part of this passage is crucial, though, for us understanding the tone that Paul is trying to set with Timothy, okay? And that's the very, on first reading, unpleasant passage about childbearing. So let's read it again together. Um, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. Actually, too, do we remember in Romans who Paul said was the deceived one? What did death come into the world through? Then say Eve, right? Interesting, and I say this because of the point I think Paul is trying to make. And again, I don't think that means there's hypocrisy within his statements. I don't think it means he changed his mind. I think, again, it's purposeful for the statement that comes next. Because again, in Romans 5-ish, and it says, as death entered the world through one man, Adam, death, or life came through a man, Christ, right? There's no blame of Eve. There's no discussion of that. There's no discussion of deception. It's Adam, look what you have brought into the world, right? So, just, so we know that. Again, I think it is trying to make a point, and we're getting to it. Um, Adam wasn't deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, on first reading, that more than likely sounds like the way to be saved is by what? By having children, right? But, let's read it again. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if. It does not say she will be saved by childbearing at all. It says and, okay, here, let me, let me do this so it helps. In 1 Corinthians, there's a passage similar, okay? 
And, and the reason I read it is because it's the same wording. It's the same language, the same like Greek sentence. And this is what it says. I think it's three something right here. Okay. So it's 3.15. Um, it says, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he, and it is specifically talking about men in this passage. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Does that mean that the man has to be saved by being burned? What does it rather imply? It rather implies saved in the midst of fire. The same sentence is right here. It's the same. The same wording, the same. It rather could be read. Sorry, let's go back to the uh, Timothy passage. That she would be saved in the midst of childbearing. Yet she will be saved. But the curse of women for the longest time, and we would have a hard time remember, I'm for sure not going to be able to understand it because I don't bear children. I don't have a body growing within me, needing me for life in a connection that's the most intimate connection in the entire everything. I don't have to go through childbirth, which I'm sure is the most beautiful, difficult, awful, wonderful thing ever. But we can't even understand because now, today, it looks very different than it always has. Count throughout history, one of the most dangerous things that would ever happen to a woman is to be pregnant. One of the most dangerous things. Mortality rates, obviously higher than they are now. The, the fact that there are options of being able to give birth haven't always been there. And the options to heal after haven't either. To have a child when this is written, or before this is written, or whenever, has been beautiful, but much, much, much scarier than now. Surely we can imagine that. The fact that, without, without being too ridiculous or sounding trite, the way your bodies change after and before, what can happen to you after and before, how you're not the same ever after, emotionally, physically, any other way, and now it is, again, so much better. But to have that be difficult and painful and necessary and for you to long, some of us to have it, and now for some of us to find value or not in it and to struggle through that, to struggle through, if you're able to, then that makes you something more, or if you can't, that makes you less, or if you choose not to, is that a good choice or crazy or wonderful or for you. All the conversations, the emotions, everything around childbirth is incredibly difficult. I imagine, again, I have to imagine, not know, it is easy to believe, yes, that is somewhat a curse. To long for something that would hurt me would be a curse. Much, to me, a much greater, more difficult problem than me just wanting to know that I worked well. This curse of man is, to me, so much less than, than this. But the message, why I feel it's, it's beautiful, is this idea that in the midst of that, 
in the midst of, of mothers and wives and sisters not being able to make it through this or having their bodies change forever or having injuries that are unable to be repaired or to not have this, this part of you the same. All of this, this idea that that's not the end, that there is salvation in the midst of, can be beautiful. Yes, 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 like the deception was bad and sin coming into the world has ruined, it has taken over everything. We see it in ourselves that sin entered us, I know every day, every moment, I know myself and know my sin and I know my curse, right? I know how I am not the father I want to be. I know I'm not the husband I want to be, the worker I want to be, the person, the anything, right? We know this. In the midst of, we are saved. Continue in faith, love, and holiness. Because in the midst of whatever curse, there is salvation. It's not a, if you want to be saved, you better raise families and have a lot of children and be able to and want to and choose to and be good at it and validation from it. Rather, no matter what happens amidst, around, or within giving birth, being pregnant, choosing that, not being able to do this, not having your life set up that way, choosing no, in the midst of all of those difficulties and the questions of something so serious and so intimate within, within like the women we love, there is salvation there. And that's not the end. How you mother isn't the end. All of that is redeemable. How you were mothered is not the end. How it will go for you is not the end of it. It doesn't define you. It doesn't define us. Whatever our difficulty, whatever our hardship, whatever our beautiful mess would be, doesn't define us. But in fact, Paul says, no, we are saved in the midst of it. Through even this, we are saved. Through even the original, this is our lot, we are saved. No matter how you were raised or your family or what it does to us and how it has shaped us or or who we have loved or not loved, or who we have become or are becoming or once were, none of that defines us. We are saved in the midst of all of it. Again, love, 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 love. This, this idea that the early church already was getting away from that and starting to say, no, actually, you need to do blank. This should happen this will redeem you. No, think this way. No, be with this person. No, that none of that. Paul wants to say, absolutely not. Because even in the midst of whatever, there's salvation there. It takes a passage that sounds crappy on first reading. And, and the, the actual text is beautiful. 
This idea that there's salvation for everyone in the midst of whatever. In the hardest, most beautiful mess of our lives, of our lives, there is salvation there. So here's, here's what I want us to do. Also, real quick, let's be open about this too. It is good for us at any time, whether you're reading Jesus' words or you're reading some other writer we're not sure or a psalm, to actually look at the text and not just say you have to like it. We don't need to do that. It's fine. <laughs> it's going to be just fine. God, God is pleased. We're not going to lessen the glory of God by saying, what in the world was that? Right? Or saying, I don't like that. Or saying, that upsets me. That is, in fact, how we grow and change and actually become disciples is by saying, I do not like. <laughs> or that is hard. Please help me. Anyone. What, it, what is this? We, we have to be okay with this. Oh, and there's more in Timothy as well. That's partly what I'm saying. Like this is kind of what we're doing for a month or so. So we'll just keep doing it. Hopefully well. <laughs> or poorly. Um, anyway, so let's stand together. Uh, we're going to enter a time of communion. And at Church of East, here's how that works. Um, we're going to read a liturgy of response. Um, you guys can go ahead and come up. We're going to read a liturgy of response, and then after we do that, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Um, then uh, they're going to play two songs, and when you feel the time is right, either by yourself or with someone sitting next to you, with your restore group, whatever, I uh, would ask you just come over to the communion table, take the bread, um, dip it in the cup, enjoy communion, and then worship here however you please, all right? Um, and I want us, what I want today as I take communion is I want, as I take the bread and dip it in the cup and I say I'm one with Christ and I'm one with you, right? That's what we say. Made one in Christ and one with each other. We offer ourselves back to you. An act of praise, right? I want to say as I dip the bread in the cup that I'm saved in the midst of myself. In the midst of whatever mess in our lives, either that we have created or has been thrust upon us, there is salvation there, and that can be very beautiful for us. And, and I know, dipping into the cup, you all will be doing, that I know that in your lives as well. And that is very helpful for me this morning. So, I want you to know that. The Lord Jesus.